0: Now, if you do have a Bible, uh, would you like to turn to the book of Mark in the New Testament? We're going to to look at a few verses in Mark chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, having begun uh, a series on this gospel uh, a few weeks back now. And the last time we were here, we were looking at a much bigger chunk of Mark chapter 1, really showing us a, a day in the life of Jesus and what Jesus uh, the kingdom of God that he was announcing what it was like and so we, we saw kind of pretty busy full day in Jesus life starting in the synagogue in Capernaum and, and preaching and teaching and kind of people were just awestruck really um, amazed at his teaching with authority it was new it was fresh to their ears it was perhaps familiar scripture to them um, in that Jewish community they were used to it uh, to to, to, to having someone stand up and teach, but this just blew them away as he brought uh, with authority a teaching that was perhaps um, uh, fresh to them. There's this amazing encounter, uh, a, a, an evil spirit is cast out of someone who's freed as a result, news spreads, he goes to somebody's house, heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law of, uh, of a fever uh, loads of people get to hear about this. So at night they all gather at the door. They're knocking on the door. They've brought all the um, the sick and the demonised, and they're having this massive time where Jesus is healing people of various diseases he gets the only time available to him then to go and pray and seek God alone so he gets up early in the morning after all this has happened seeks God and whereas the disciples are saying look there are loads of people who still need to be healed there's loads going on in here in Capernaum set up camp here uh, we've got kind of a popular movement on our hand but Jesus spent time with God then he knows, no actually that's That's not where God is leading. That might be where others' expectations are leading. But right now, the important thing is for us to keep moving. And so that's what happens. Jesus continues to travel throughout Galilee, uh, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, we're told at the end of verse 39. So now we're going to look at verse 40 uh, to 45. Um, So if you want to turn to that, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Let's read those few verses. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once. With a strong warning, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him, from everywhere. Here we have a relatively brief example of healing in particular. So last time we saw there was a number of different aspects to what was happening um, as Jesus shared the good news, demonstrated the kingdom of God. Here we kind of zoom in on on one example, one snapshot, one brief encounter really. The only two people mentioned are Jesus and this man uh, with, uh, leprosy or a skin disease of some sort. You could be thinking, well, is this just a, a random recollection of one of the many things that happened when Jesus, uh, walked the earth? Is it like Mark and perhaps others have been kind of doing a, a bit of a, a, a memory test? Have you ever had that as a, perhaps a little party game? Uh, There'll be a whole number of different items placed on a tray. The tea towel is over the tray. The tea towel is lifted, and you've got to look at all, you know, 30 things, like oh, a magnifying glass, an apple, a book, uh, an iPad, or whatever. It's all there on the tray. Kind of c- quickly got to take it in. You've got about 30 seconds, 45 seconds, or whatever, and then it's covered back up and taken away, and you've kind of got to remember. Um, well, there was... Oh, what was there? Um... No, was it an apple or was it a banana? Um, uh, Magnifying glass, binoculars. No, it was magnifying glass, I think. Magnifying glass, that was it, yes. It was like the generation game. When they got to the end of the generation game, it's obviously gone now. You may not know anything about it, but the wonders of YouTube mean you can probably find something. And um, in order to win prizes, the, the kind of winning couple are put in this booth. The conveyor belt goes past. All these different items are there. And later on, again, they've got to do the same thing. Try and remember all that they're going to win, whatever they can remember. But they're kind of just remembering things in a haphazard order. And suddenly, someone's going to say, "A cuddly toy, yes." It was just, "What's the point of the cuddly toy?" But anyway, it's there. You can win the cuddly toy. I didn't come on a game show to win that. But anyway, I'm hoping for the holiday. Never mind. Um, People would remember kind of just things in in a haphazard way. Is that what is that what's happening here? Is Mark kind of thinking, "Oh, crumbs. Well, yeah, that was that. There was that key day." uh early on what happened what was going on what were some of the things that happened um, oh i know do you remember there was that it was just a brief thing really but there was that kind of encounter jesus had with a man with leprosy oh yeah should we should we should we include that should we put that in oh. yeah we'll put it in fairly early on and then we can move on to other stuff. Obviously the, the, you know, the, the significance builds up and builds up and builds up as we get to Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection at the end of the gospel. Yeah, so I think there's probably space to squeeze that one in there uh, near the outset. Is that what's kind of happening here? Almost a, a scattergun of memories of what Jesus did. What, what it was like to have Jesus around. Oh yeah, well there was that little thing uh, kind of early on. It's not like that at all. Mark is telling us all these things on purpose and there is a reason why it's good for us to hear this morning of what happened when Jesus met a man with leprosy. It's it's as though it could just seem like a a small picture on the wall. Perhaps a, a small picture, someone's painted it or someone's bought it, they've given it to you, you kind of think, ah. Oh, it's Oh, I'm not really sure about this. Is it all that significant? Well, it, it might appear just a small image, a small framed picture on the wall. Maybe there's much bigger pictures, uh, much more the, uh, impressive-looking displays of artistic creativity or whatever on your wall. Or whatever. But this thing it's there. It may be small, but it's powerful, and it has in it just... Great encouragement for us uh, to, get hit, uh, to get to see. So we're going to look at a few things, three things. First of all, we're going to see that Jesus heals the man of leprosy. We encounter here <clears throat> a really desperate man. He has leprosy. Now, that might not be what is technically known now as Hansen's disease, uh, which involves kind of uh, disfigurement. Of, of fingers and extremities, perhaps disfigured uh, face uh, sores on the body, um, it could be another type of skin disease, um, but his desperation suggests this was something significant. Um, this was something horrific if it was leprosy, something that 's incurable, potentially life threatening how it would be seen at the time, and with an incredible social stigma as well. This guy would have been regarded as untouchable. So to have this disease was to really have a curse around your neck. Um, if you were reading from the Good News translation, it would say, a man with a dreaded skin disease, which kind of sums it up quite well. This was dreadful. This was dreaded. This was horrific he could have been disfigured with no known cure. Uh, to be healed from leprosy would have been regarded as similar to being raised from the dead. It's just impossible. Uh, this guy is also an outcast. He's out of the community um, because of this infectious complaint he has. So he's a loner and he is hopeless. And this is actually precisely what the people were, would have been told how to treat him. So in Leviticus uh, chapter 13, uh, we see there a whole uh, chapter, a massive passage uh, dedicated there to Moses, or the Lord telling Moses to instruct the people, this is how to handle a situation where it would appear someone has an infectious skin disease. So these regulations um, as to how to handle it so this person would go to the priest. They might put them in isolation for a little bit of time. They'd, they'd observe, they'd, they'd make an assessment of the skin complaint and, and, and what it was like. And maybe seven days in isolation, come back and then see what's happened again. And there'd be some guidance there to know, um, is this infectious or not? If it's not, that's okay. You back out into the community. Um, if it is uh, infectious, just look at the end of the chapter there in uh, Leviticus uh, the 13 verse 45, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So even God's word was saying, this is how to handle it. Don't touch. They need to be well alone. Um, this disease, it carries a threat. We have to protect the community, lest this thing spread, lest other people get um, uh, kind of contaminated with the same condition, or they become unclean uh, before God. So one way or another, this, this guy is at more than arm's length. So you think, well, Jesus, if he'd taken the disciples' expectation, would have just stayed in Capernaum, set up camp there. Loads of people are coming to him, but this guy wouldn't have been because he wasn't there. He wasn't allowed. He had to go. Jesus needed to go in order to go and find uh, this guy. Now, this guy, actually, it would appear, finds him. Good news what Jesus has been teaching and what Jesus has been doing, healing many who had various diseases, has come to this guy's ears. He's heard about what Jesus has been saying and doing. Somehow or another then, he finds Jesus. And what's remarkable then is he already knows enough. From what he has heard so far, without having met him before, he knows or he has a strong suspicion. If I approach Jesus, I'm not going to be rejected. I'm not going to get judged. I'm not going to get turned away. He's not going to run a mile from me. From what I've heard about him, it's, going to, it's safe for me to approach. Or the blessing that can come my way as a result of approaching him is so great. I'm going to push through. I'm going to find him. He does so. And so in in, in verse 40, we hear, a man from, with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. This is urgent. This is desperate. This is painful. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And uh, he has, therefore, no doubt about Jesus' power and authority to heal. He, says he knows he is able. You can make me clean. It's a statement of fact. It's a statement of faith. From what he's heard, he knows it to be true. What he's done elsewhere, this guy knows is he could receive himself, if you're willing. Now, maybe he's unsure if Jesus wants to do that. Or maybe it's just a polite way of addressing someone you don't know. If you're willing, you can make me clean. What is standing out there is this guy's faith. He's desperate, but he's he's got faith. Rachel and I were remembering, uh, an experience from some years ago. Actually, it was before we were, we were married. We were downstairs, uh, here at the Jubilee Centre having a coffee after a meeting. And, uh, it was a girl of about 14 or 15. I think her connection with us was, was perhaps to do with, a, a kids club that the church was running, um, at the time. And, uh, Rachel and her got into a conversation. I think they probably already knew each other. This girl was saying, actually, I've, I've got toothache. The toothache's horrible. Who has had toothache and knows it is horrible? It's just, oh. So she's expressing this desperation. She's also expressing, she's not from a Christian background, she's from a Muslim background, I think. And uh, she was expressing a kind of a a determination, please would you pray for me? So Rachel kind of thought, yes, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity. But she obviously looked around the coffee time, looking for somebody, anointed, uh, clearly, Holy and, uh, and experienced in praying for the sick, but they were all busy. Uh, and so she found me and uh, we came uh, to this girl and uh, we're going to kind of pray. I can't even remember what we said. It wouldn't have been particularly impressive. But what was remarkable is what she did. And she took Rachel's hand and you say she said, you touch me here. You, you've put your hand here. And so we prayed and then her face completely changed. So it's gone. The pain has gone. I've been, I've been healed. Now I'd love to tell you that we knew kind of where she is now or what's happened since, but just an example of this is really bad, but I know who, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard what he's like. And so actually I believe if Rachel touches my cheek and prays in his name, I'm going to get blessed, uh, which is happening. It was what, it was remarkable. Um, but how's Jesus going to respond? In this situation right here, here is a man who is ugly, who is infectious and is unclean. Any touch from this man technically would make Jesus unclean and possibly infect him too. To everybody else, untouchable. What about to Jesus? We see here A man who's desperate. We see here as well, a powerful touch. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Did what no one else probably would. And said, I am willing. Be clean. And he demonstrates uh, the willingness and the power of God to heal. With quite startling results. Amazing results. It says, the leprosy left him immediately. And he was cured. Now we don't know how significant, how severe um, the skin disease was. How disfigured, how affected he would have been. But it was clear to him and to Jesus and to others if they happened to be there, um, a complete change took place. It was immediate and he was cured. The skin became new Before their eyes, the sores were gone. What an amazing example of Jesus healing. The question to ask at this point, why did Jesus heal him? What was Jesus' motive for doing so? Was it a convenient way to gather a crowd? Or to spread the word, develop some kind of reputation for a healing ministry, therefore become very popular and have lots of followers? Or was it in some way calculated? It was calculated to, to prove, to be evidence that Jesus stood before them in the flesh is actually the Son of God. Now sometimes that is the the only explanation uh, that Christians might offer as to why in the New Testament we see examples of of healing is if it's some kind of temporary strategy to prove Jesus is God. And now that he's been written down, well, it's wonderful because we don't we don't need to have any healings now. In fact, miracles don't happen, so the argument might go um, because we've already got the evidence here written down for us, that demonstrates that Jesus is the Son of God, and uh, therefore we can come to faith in who he is. It's a proof of who he is. Well, it it is that, but it's not just that. The problem that leads to is it kind of makes out that Jesus was mainly concerned, perhaps with himself, how people regard him, or the, the popularity of his kingdom, as if that would make it Uh, more significant, or as if that would make him uh, more powerful. This is not a calculating strategy. This is not a convenient way of gathering a following. In fact, as we actually see, what happens makes it more difficult for Jesus, not less difficult. This is not Jesus rocking up in town as some magician with long sleeves, doing a few tricks to kind of gather people going, ooh, ah, wow. There's something else behind it. This is not calculating, this is not strategic in that sense. It's not convenient, far from it in actual fact. This is to do with compassion. We're told in verse 41, here is Mark's purpose in telling us this particular account of what Jesus did. He wants to put his finger on this thing. He wants to direct our attention to this. Jesus was filled with compassion. Now compassion, it might sound like, well, or maybe even in translation you might be looking at, Jesus had pity on him. Oh dear. Oh, I am sorry. Okay. Come, come. Let's try and work it through. This is a strong emotional response in the gut. We often locate emotions as though they were in the heart. But the Hebrew mind would take it a little bit lower and say, actually, no, it's in the bowels. It's in the guts. This strong kind of gut-wrenching response of strong concern and compassion. Not kind of there, there, but... This affects me. Almost an indignant response. This is not how things should be. This evil, this suffering, this sickness. And all that it's bringing about, this social isolation, this outcast amongst his own people. This is, this is grim. He's moved with compassion by another person's suffering. And in so doing, he is showing us What God is like. He is not kind of adopting love or care as a temporary plan. Ah, if I show, if I, if I heal this guy, it will reflect well on me and uh, I'll, I'll become more popular as a result. No, this was more a case of responding in the moment to a person who's come right before him and who is desperate and for obvious reasons, Jesus' whole heart, as we might put it, goes out to him and he responds with compassion and then kind of handles the consequences afterwards, be they positive or negative. Um, He is motivated by compassion. Is that how we see God? That's Mark's purpose. That's what Mark wants us to see about Jesus and therefore about what God is like. Is that the God we're approaching? Is that the God we understand is revealed in Scripture, present with us now, unfolding the plans for his kingdom? When uh, Paul writes at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, he describes God uh, in this way, in really a declaration of praise to God. So in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, says, says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, and so on. Describes him there the Father of compassion. Compassion comes from God. It's something that is in God. This is what God is like. This is the one that we're approaching. This is the one that we've been worshipping this morning. This is the one that we are praying to. As a way of praying for things as if it's us who cares more than God. We kind of, I, I'm not sure I could kind of uh, describe it right now, but almost a, an attitude that can sometimes come across in, in me or, or you kind of when you hear others praying, you think, no, no, hang on a minute, just take a step back. God does actually care. We're not praying to somebody who doesn't care. We're not praying to some uh, deity who is arms folded, far removed, um, kind of needs to be kind of awoken from slumber or distracted from whatever was concerning him elsewhere in the universe. No, we're coming to God of compassion, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. That's the God we're praying to, and this is the Saviour. That we are following, and therefore the disciples that we are to be becoming—not—not not adopting love as a strategy to try and get results. Let's appear loving. Let's do all we can to give the impression that we care. Because if we do that, maybe we'll gather a bigger crowd, and uh, then the message will change quite a lot, and we'll tell stuff, uh, tell other things to people. Um, uh, Now that we've kind of got an audience, let's just, you know, let's pray for healing as if it's kind of a few party tricks and then people will be impressed and there'll be queues out of the door and we will be kind of more successful church. And oh, maybe that's the agenda. No, 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 that isn't the agenda at all. That's not what we're to be about. So thank God. For the examples of healing um, that have been demonstrated amongst us, be that recently or be that with this girl that we've referred to ever since as Tooth Girl, she came to us. She took her hand and she put it on her face, and we prayed in the name of Jesus. Well, um, oh, praise God, that's wonderful. God's at work, but we don't want to slip into kind of thinking of church life or the Christian life as kind of playing playing the numbers game. What we've got to do is kind of, kind of whip people in and, uh, do some tricks and appear friendly and then maybe people will stick around and we'll become more successful as a result. No. Jesus was demonstrating the overflowing compassion that was inside him to help somebody, to respond to somebody. It wasn't convenient. It made things more difficult, but he did it anyway out of care, out of concern, not out of some kind of, oh, this could work well for me. Let's be people who in the same way embrace inconvenience. It's it's not convenient to pray for you right now. It's not convenient to have this conversation. I've got a plan. I've got a schedule. There's a meeting to go to in 20 minutes and so I can't have the conversation now. You've got to wait till later. It's like we're just going through life kind of uh, trying to be efficient, trying to be productive Maybe trying to keep lots of people happy or going through life, seizing an opportunity to demonstrate the compassion that I hope we have received and believed ourselves already and how God is towards us. So Jesus heals this man of leprosy with a powerful touch. That touch would have communicated a lot, not just the healing but I'm, I'm prepared to connect with you, even though many would feel they have to shun you and push you to one side. I'm, I'm ready to spend time with you. I'm ready to identify with you. I'm ready almost for my own reputation to get tarnished by being close, by not shrinking away and rejecting. No, I can't have anything to do with you. Oh, this, this isn't quite right. We see this overflowing love and compassion. That's what Mark wants us to see. That's what Jesus Um, demonstrated what else happens in this passage we also see something else that is quite surprising we see Jesus commanding the man to go he's healed the man, now he's commanding the man so in verse uh, 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning so we've had this powerful touch now we get this powerful warning Jesus is literally trying to drive him away with stern words, which even almost have a hint of anger about them. This is not gentle treatment. How does it feel? No, this is, get going, out of here. Is anybody surprised by that? doesn't seem particularly compassionate and sensitive and comforting now. Be gone. And see that you don't tell this to anyone. These, are these peculiar instructions. First, see that you don't tell this to anyone. Well, he's just been healed of potentially life-threatening, incurable disease with massive social implications. And Jesus is saying, don't tell anybody about it. Of course he's going to want to tell people about it. This is dramatic. This is awesome. This is just an incredible, powerful encounter that's totally rearranged his life. And his face. This is totally amazing. It's a natural response, but Jesus says, "No, don't go. And t- don't tell anybody." And what He says as well is, "Is go, be gone." What, what what is going on here? Why did Jesus give him these warnings? Obviously, He doesn't just say, "Go." There's, again, there's a purpose here, which we see um, in the passages it unfolds. But go, show yourself to the priest and. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. In other words, actually, he's qualifying the instruction, don't tell anyone about this. He's saying, first first of all, go to the priest. First of all, go to the temple. First of all, heed the words of Moses. Follow the command that's already in Scripture in Leviticus chapter 14. After we heard that... Um, the passage saying, you know, if if someone's got an, un, uh, an infectious skin disease, then he's got to cover himself up, be unkempt, wear torn clothes, and shout out, unclean, unclean. What happens if he's saved? What is this in chapter 14 from the beginning there? The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for the diseased person at the time of his ceremonial cleansing, when he's brought to the priest. And then again, the, the, the regulations are spelt out there. What's to happen next? And again, it's go to the priest. It's perhaps almost similar for us without the religious connotation of actually go to the doctor. Um, check it out. Uh, that's what the priest was doing. Actually seeing, assessing. Uh, for it to be dem- demonstrated, for it to be proven. Jesus is saying, you've been healed, but go to the priest Actually, that is the way for you to be restored back into the community. Go to him, and he'll see, yes, this change has taken place. It's been tested. It's been looked at. Now we can see, now, as it were, that the way is open. You don't have to say, unclean, unclean anymore. You can go, you can dress normally, and you're part of the community. That's the way back in. That's what God wants to do. He wants to restore people back into community, no longer in this lonely Isolation. That's Jesus' heart, but so he gives a this strong warning. And so what was motivating him at this point? And firstly, well he's he's upholding the authority of the law. He's saying, Do what it says in Leviticus. Jesus says elsewhere in, in recorded in, in Matthew, you know, don't don't think that I've come to abolish the law. Don't think that I've come to do away with it. and and rip it up. I've come to fulfill it. Um, And so what we see here is someone who is actually honoring the law that God had given Moses to give to the people. Jesus is not raging against authority, full stop. As though freedom is about being totally released from any obligation to this stuff. No, 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 you're free now, you're healed. Just go and do what you want. You don't have to pay any attention to what's been written before. You don't have to go and see the priest. Yeah, stuff them for keeping you out of the community all this time Uh, and this religious system and all that it's produced. No, Jesus is not saying that. He's saying, no, go to the priest. Honor the law. This was the way to be fully restored. But Jesus is also demonstrating the authority of the word given to Moses. He's also demonstrating his own authority. There's a slight irony here. Jesus commands the sickness to go. The sickness obeys and leaves immediately. We've seen Jesus commanding evil spirits to go, and they go immediately when Jesus speaks to them. Now Jesus is speaking to this person and saying, go, and he doesn't. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom coming to announce good news. And, uh, The demons flee, sickness goes, but this guy does exactly what he wants to. In other words, he's he's kind of got this blessing, I've received what I want now, I don't want anything else, I I, I don't need any authority speaking into my life, so I'm off, I'm doing my own thing. I'll do what I think is right. I'll go with my own kind of feelings on this one, thanks. It seems bizarre. Uh, Or I don't want to kind of go to the, I don't want to go to the priests. They're the ones who told me to go in the first place. They're the ones who banished me. Jesus is upholding his own, the authority of the word, and his own authority as well. It means, yeah. This this Jesus kind of response towards him, this note of anger, is perhaps even, even in how the guys responded, he could see. He's not going to listen to a word I say right now, so he requires kind of he's trying to get his attention. Go. Honour what Moses commanded. But he can see, I'm I'm not getting through here at all. The man's reaction already suggested he wasn't going to pay the slightest bit of attention. So we've seen here Mark wanting to highlight God's compassion as demonstrated by Jesus. Mark's also highlighting here God's authority as uh, demonstrated by Jesus. Being a disciple is not about throwing off all claims of, of authority. Jesus was not against organized religion, per se. He was against the way that religion was organized at the time. It needed to be re-established. It needed to be reworked. It needed to be rebuilt based on him. Um, So he was doing a great work. Um, But he wasn't, no, just, there's, there's no authority now. Just do whatever you want. No one can tell me what to do, this guy could have been thinking. And sometimes that can be our response as well. No one can tell me what to do. I don't mind receiving from Jesus something kind of soft and nebulous and lovely, or even a powerful healing uh, that totally transform, transforms my day-to-day life. But I don't have to listen to what he says. I don't have to pay attention where what he might be speaking to me about or about the word. I can just go with whatever. No, that's not what is being affirmed here. But there's something else as well. Jesus heals the man. Jesus commands the man. But we're seeing something here as well, there is a powerful message. We've seen that powerful touch, a powerful warning. There's a powerful message. Jesus rescues the lost. This brief example of healing could seem this random, small or insignificant memory of something Jesus happened to do. Okay, it's a skin disease. Okay, it could have been really significant, but... Almost, so what? And then we're told kind of random detail, or it may seem like that, um, that after this warning, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Okay. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Right. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Shall we just move on? Um, What is going on here? This is not some... Random accounts with random detail. This little passage, this little picture uh, packs a punch. This is giving us what one commentator has described as the gospel, the good news, in a nutshell. Let's rewind and briefly go through it again, almost looking through a different lens. This man had a problem. We had Or have a problem. He had an incurable disease that made him unclean. We had an incurable disease that made us unclean in God's sight. This guy, in a certain way, physically was untouchable. For us, a way in which we were, to God, untouchable. Not living a life in the fullness of what God intended at all. Our condition was or is uh, far worse than leprosy. I'm talking about sin, which means that we were born outcast. We were born excluded. We were born untouchable as far as God was concerned. We were born into sin and a slavery to sin of which we could not get out of ourselves. This guy, he couldn't get out of this situation himself. He couldn't throw off his skin disease. He couldn't decide it was going to be gone now. We couldn't just decide um, to, to walk away from having a sinful nature, basically hostile towards God, that leads us to offend him. Now, what the law did in Leviticus 13, accurately and ruthlessly, it identified the problem this man had. He had a skin disease. If he happened to get healed, somehow, there were further regulations to be reinstated and restored into the community. But basically, the law just said, here's the problem, and barring a miracle, there's no hope for you. And you've got to shout, unclean, unclean, for the rest of your days, looking dreadful. And the law, broadly, to all of us, said, you've got a problem. You can't shift it. It would even be quite precise about what the the problem of sin is. But the law would never, as it were, lift a finger to change the situation. Barring a miracle, that's it. Doomed. Outcast. Hopeless. Incurable. Desperate, in other words. That was our situation before God. The law ruthlessly identified the problem. And then what religion does, religion sees the sinner as the problem, as a contagion, and therefore, can't have anything to do. Pushed out. Now that's the problem where we were all born into this problem. But as we see it, uh, maybe there'd be some, and in, in, in church life, um, in previous eras, where well, if you are, if you appear to be immoral, if you appear to be a bit dodgy and shady, I'm sorry, you pollute our community. And we can't have anything to do with you. So so you're out. You go outside the camp. We'll be self-righteous and respectable inside the, the meeting place of God's people. You have to be outside. We can't have anything to do with you. We can't touch you. That's what religion does and still does. That's not, however, what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say to this man, you're not welcome here. I can't have anything to do with you. You're unclean. You know that. You know what the law says. You know you can't approach somebody away. If religion says that, Jesus says, I'm willing. And he reaches out and he touches the man. And he touched us. We, If we were untouchable towards him, and if we couldn't make our way, actually, he came and he laid his hand on us. Jesus took the uncleanness. Jesus took the sin. Jesus took the curse. And we even see that in how the story, uh, how the account unfolds. It starts, a man with leprosy. He wasn't allowed in the community. He wasn't in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He wasn't in Capernaum. He's in a lonely place because he was an outcast. He finds Jesus because Jesus has gone looking for people probably just like him. And... As a result of what happens, they swap places. He goes back to people and says, what's happened? What happens to Jesus? He goes and has to stay in the lonely places. What's going on? Well, just a practical frustration on the one one hand, because Jesus didn't want that to happen. He was no longer able to move around freely. He had to stay outside in lonely places. But in another way, it's just a small picture, a view into what the gospel is, what the gospel is like. Jesus takes our place. Jesus took the curse this man was under, and he does the same today. That's how it's explained or described in Galatians chapter 3, where Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, cursed is everyone is hung on a tree. He took the place of the curse. He took our place so that we might take his. It's a brief snapshot. It's a brief example. It's something initially we might just think, well, interesting, but more or less insignificant. Well, let's just see today. Mirac- miraculous healing is not an ancient phenomenon. That science has now replaced. If miracles of healing were just a temporary strategy, there'd be every reason to say, well, you don't expect them now, of course. We've got the Bible. But it isn't that. We see here is coming out from God's compassion. That compassion hasn't changed. That doesn't mean necessarily every uh, sickness we pray for gets healed, but it means that we can expect Healing to take place in the name of Jesus. Healing happens, but there's more. There's this small window into something that is infinitely wonderful. Have you read, or are you familiar with, uh, C.S. Lewis' uh, book story, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader? If you are, you will know how the story starts. Some children with wonderful names, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace, uh, find themselves in an ordinary room. And on the wall of that ordinary room is an ordinary small picture of a boat sailing uh, towards them, uh, as it were. And as the story unfolds, they... See, actually, it's, this is a really great picture because it's as though the boat is actually moving. There's, there's kind of movement in the, in, the, in the sails and in the wind. Um, it, it kind of, it, it's more real than just your ordinary picture. And as they look further, they're more startled by the fact, no, it really is. The waves really are moving. The wind and the boat really is moving. It's sailing. It's coming, it's coming towards us. We're getting wet they find themselves kind of then through a small picture they're now into a whole new reality, a whole new realm, a whole new kingdom by the name of Narnia. And that's how C. S. Lewis used that kind of dramatic um, imagery to kind of provide us with a picture. But here we have it even here. We've got, as it were, a small a small window a small picture as it were, just framed on the wall. A man with a skin disease approaches Jesus. Jesus heals him. Well, that was great for him. Now, look again and you'll actually see the picture is moving. And look some more and you find yourself in the picture, in a new reality, in a new realm, in a new kingdom, with Christ himself. That's why this is here, that we might be drawn into God's kingdom and what it is actually like. Whether we are physically healed of some disease ourselves or not, this demonstrates the compassion of God for absolutely everyone who calls on his name. That we might receive what he has to offer. That we might be, as it were, healed from our uncleanness before God and restored completely into the community of God's people. Jesus doesn't want the world to be made up of lonely outcasts who are untouchable, isolated, just trying to muddle through, living a limited life, restricted by the fact that we can't get free of our own sin. No, but there is a way. Come and look a bit further. Come and look a bit closer at what this gospel is, what this good news is like, that is demonstrated and declared in Jesus. Shall we pray? And we we'll worship God together.